long time no uh Talk. talking to you yeah dude yeah it's been, it, yeah yeah we missed we missed another week it's fine yeah this is but fine also, so i'm not sure how it's for you but things have been like a little bit crazy here but like everything corona oh that's not a nice sure beer that's, though it's a good beer yeah i heard it lost uh a significant amount of its stock value <laughs> over the last few weeks. That is just so stupid. That's so stupid. Yeah, that's ridiculous. But yeah, I'm in working from home now for the next week. Oh yeah, all of next week. It's like a yeah, as like without any like actual reason for it, with the exception being that since I'm in a job where I travel a lot, um, we want to do like a small part to protect our communities and reduce the risk of. Yeah, definitely. That makes perfect sense. Carrying like the virus um, across, yeah, like we could essentially, since we're such a global and well-connected company, essentially, I think infect all the Western world within two weeks if we would keep up our travel cadence. Yeah, man. Every job that can should be remote. Like, welcome to the so future. It is a very interesting experiment now for remote work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, open I up your eyes, world. And, you know. Immediately had the issue that my mouse that i have is not compatible with mac which is a really weird issue like it works the the click event is getting through mm -hmm. like i can click on stuff yeah but the hover state doesn't work like i don't see any like in a browser i don't have any hover state i can't if i try to do like the alt tap mm -hmm. to switch um programs mm -hmm. i can't actually click on an icon it just doesn't work it doesn't register to click that's strange properly so yeah was briefly thinking of just going ahead and ordering like a new mouse make sure it doesn't come from china though i think it is long enough in europe for it to not be an issue but it's also freaking expensive and yeah i was like i don't know how long i have to work from home so does it actually make sense to invest in like a really nice home office setup now that i will use for ideally not that long of a time and then put it back in a box like that also doesn't make sense no, it's so good. i it's think i'll just it. live with it no nah, it's good to have well actually yeah it depends on each like individual as well you you get used to it too with if you start using the pad i have never really used a uh like external mouse and keyboard here i just used my laptop and i used like because the reason why i said you can just adapt is because i thought that i will never be able to live without an external monitor yeah and now that i don't have one I've just been using this and it's completely fine. Whenever I get a uh, bigger setup though, I will I will definitely get one. But my my desk here is so freaking tiny. But I'm glad it's small because my apartment is small for now until uh further notice. But when I get a when I move to a bigger spot, I'll definitely get something. Because this is like it's like three arms. Just from elbow to wrist. Wide. And it's uh Okay, I might have like four, but so like I couldn't work without an external monitor, to be honest. Without? That's no, I wouldn't work for me because the angle, like I would have to look down on the MacBook all the time and that would just kill my neck and I would have like back pains within two days. Oh yeah, wait, hold on. Now that I'm looking at you right now, why is your desk so low? Or is Oh, that's a normal height that I kind of need. So there are like all these uh, recommendations for like ergonomic setups. And the idea is that your arms are at like a 90 degree angle. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So yeah, if I put true. my chair, like since I'm pretty tall person, I immediately, I'm pretty far up from my desk. So I need the monitor on 
like a very aggressive height. <laughs> and with the MacBook on my desk, I would constantly look down and it would just kill my yeah my neck and my back. Yeah. So I have the laptop sitting next to the monitor, but I'm essentially working on an external monitor uh, primarily. I see. Which I've luckily had for, I think by now, over 12 years. Hmm. Almost 12 years. That's crazy. And it has never been a problem because I've always... I only used it for gaming, essentially. And now I start working on it and I notice immediately that the resolution is like really poor. Mm-hmm. It's 27 inch, but still with like only full HD, like no 4K. Yeah. And then you have the MacBook with like this super nice and crisp and colorful display. And I look at my d- monitor, I'm like, should I just buy a new 4K monitor for work? And I played this through like with the mouse and maybe a, like actual like Apple keyboard and a monitor and a better monitor stand to get it up to like a nice height. Yeah. It would be a ridiculous amount of money for a temporary setup. So I was like, I'll just get used to it. I just, just start small and small. You know what I was looking for the other day where I was like, there's got to be a thing by now. I was looking for a transparent monitor. What? Like, I'm just, I just thought that by now we would have this. I mean, it's 2020. You know, like, imagine, like, just a glass that yeah. you can, that you can actually use as a monitor if you want to. I was, there are probably, like, experimental versions of this. Yeah, but... I was looking into it and there is, but it's not, I think Samsung was coming out with one and yeah. it actually looked pretty good, but I, was, I thought it would be, like, cool by now, but. But it's it's not a thing. It's not a thing. Yeah, it's not a thing. I wish I had the uh, the knowledge and intelligence to develop this because I was thinking this would be something really nice to have, like a little glass thingy here behind my uh, my computer or something, and yeah. like I'll connect it uh, to my Raspberry Pi and do some cool stuff. But uh, have you thought of getting one of the like digital uh, f- like uh, picture frames? The digital picture frames. Yeah, like it's not glass, but it's also like small and you can probably just... Yeah, I, I saw... Up, yeah, no, yeah, well, there is actually pretty cheap like touch monitors for... Yeah. Uh, n- not specifically for, but it is it is most mostly used for Raspberry Pis. And they're pretty cheap. So uh, that, could be an, that could be an option. But I was just looking for a... I don't know why though. I don't remember what my idea was, but I wanted to get a transparent it's monitor like if it was e- possible. The easiest solution is probably uh, duct taping like a uh, iPad <laughs> on the wall. <laughs> I think that's why it was for. I think I wanted to put it on my wall here and just have like <laughs> like a glass there, you know. I I see it before me like this insanely like best case like ipad pro like you have this super expensive piece of hardware that you didn't just with literal duct tape glued to the wall that would be the best mix of really high-end component and really low-end uh mounting system oh my gosh that would be so yeah. bad but i want but yeah. this technology dude someone make it happen like i wish i could put it on my uh my window oh, that would be nice yeah but yeah yeah it's quite interesting to yeah, work from home now and kind of have to adjust to that rhythm. I noticed in the evening today that I essentially spent a whole day sitting in front of my yeah computer mm-hmm. and just had the feeling that I needed to get out and go for a walk. Otherwise, the whole day would just be been spent sitting. That's funny. You're going to probably feel that more and more during the week. I I am so used to it now, but at first I uh, I I was feeling the same way. 
at first I couldn't couldn't really handle it. That I did for a while. I was like, oh my gosh, this is nice. This was like the first two weeks. And then the third week came around. And I'm like, dude, I gotta go somewhere. I'm gonna lose it. Yeah, I could definitely see that happening. I definitely noticed that it's like I'm losing track of time. Yeah. It, I worked surprisingly long today. Mm-hmm. Not like anything crazy, but I also was surprised to notice that it's like six and I should probably start wrapping up that I yeah, don't work till eight. And then it was really nice to yeah, actually go for a walk and I can really see how working remotely would be beneficial for my health. Yeah. Because when I'm yeah, when I'm going to an office, I don't have that strong urge to just go for a walk. Since in a way you're always like in transit to get to the office and you're commuting or no, however definitely. you get there. Exactly. And that for me kind of ticks the box of, hey, I've been outside. But it's not actually like in most cases I'm using public transport or um, a car or a motorcycle. So it's not actually that doesn't feel that healthy and refreshing. And tonight I actually went out, left my headphones at home and just walked without any input and distraction. Yeah. Was actually really nice. I was the only person um out on the street no that is and i went into like our nature reserve that we have around the corner and it was just beautiful so definitely felt really good yeah no it feels really good i'm there with you i do it every day as well but my excuse is the mailbox my mailbox is pretty far and there's some (laughs) it's it's pretty uh it's a pretty nice sight actually when you uh walk in there because i have a little lake like Oh, nice. Yeah, like artificial lake. So I just walk through it around, I mean, around it to get to the mailbox and just some, like a little small time that I get to just chill. It's really, really essential. This sounds horrible and it's definitely based on stereotypes. But my first thought was when you said you have a small lake was, oh no, he lives in Florida. He will probably get eaten by an alligator. <laughs> dude it's so funny there was i remember uh uh, uh when i was going to school <clears throat> uh here in florida it uh there was a professor who was on the news because he saved his dog from an alligator he literally wrestled like apparently he literally oh, no. wrestled and this guy he, this guy must have been like 60 something oh crap yeah That's pretty bad right yeah 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 he wrestled an yeah. alligator because it, it like bit his dog or something like that and he was about to eat him and he saved him it's pretty crazy that is and there's probably like billion stories like that here yeah yeah that was like immediately my mind went there and i was just picturing the lake with an alligator and i guess that's not a accurate rep- uh, representation of florida but yeah. Just want to put it out there. This is where my mind went. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. It, that's probably the best stereotype. From Florida. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I have more that I don't want to get into now. <laughs> yeah. What has happened during the last two weeks since we spoke last? Uh, Just been... Uh, been Anything uh, exciting? Nah. Well, actually, one thing, but uh, I've just been really crazy busy with work. Just yeah. w- with the nature of the work, I had to uh, do uh, some extra stuff there. So it took most of my time. But, but yeah, I've been giving a lot of thought to that, um, to the rewrite of the Elixir app that I told you that I'm oh, going to yeah. do for Testful. Yeah. Yeah. And I uh, actually talked to uh, Pablo as well, ex colleague. Oh yeah. Shout out to Pablo. 
Shout out to Pablo. Yeah. Much love. Much love. <laughs> but uh, so the thing that I'm running into is since like, it, I'm, you know, kind of first project in Elixir, it's uh, I first, it needs to work with an ex- existing database. Yeah. So I was looking into how that works with uh, with Phoenix. And obviously you can, you can set up your, your, uh, existing database and then your, uh, the way that Ecto works, right? Is, yeah. uh, you just kind of declare the models there and you declare the schema right on the uh, model. Yeah. Which is nice. So then you have access to it wherever you want when you do, when you do queries and you can read and write and stuff yeah. like that. But, uh, I was talking to Paul and I said, uh, like talking about the migrations. Yeah. Like how would migrations work now that I'm working with yeah. an existing database, you know? And uh, I still have to look into this and, and because, well, for starters, when I was trying to search for some like tutorials or something about working with existing databases in Elixir, yeah. I only found one and it didn't even involve Elixir. It just involved, uh, I mean, it didn't involve Phoenix. It only involved, yeah. involved Ecto as like uh, an external thing. So coming from Rails, my expectation would be that if you manage to create uh, interesting question, I would my my expectation would have been that if you manage to create like a schema file that reflects the current state, that you can then work off of that with the migrations that you need to no yeah, exactly new features exactly. So then he told me that I could do that, right? Like it would probably be best so you can just have your local database, right, and yeah. and test locally. But my question then was, okay, then what about with, um, with like, how do you run that migration in a way that it won't affect the existing database? And then like, because then later you're going to want to do migrations to create, to add new columns, to change some name in the, in the database to something. So how do you do that now? You know, like, but isn't it? So I don't know how it's an elixir, but don't you have in the migrations like the create if not exists as the default for new tables huh i don't know maybe i'm not 100 percent sure as well i know that in the schema i'm almost certain in Ra- like in rails that if you have the schema and you apply it and it uses create if not exists i'm not sure if you use like create table in a migration if it's the same so you're saying that that in, in your head right now the way that your uh, experience is is that it will not create the table if it already uh, has it yeah so sql like dropping one level lower sql definitely has the create if not exists mm-hmm. um flag where you can essentially yeah if the table exists already it doesn't get touched if it doesn't exist it will be re- like created and then the difficulty is that your create statement of course should match what the current state of the database is mm-hmm. because it will not check if the columns are the same. It will only check if the name exists, and right. if it does, then it will move on to the next um, okay. command, essentially, mm-hmm. the next statement in the SQL query. So this is the challenge where I could see, like where you have to be thorough to make sure that what you then define in your initial schema is really what is also defined on production. Because it won't check the, it won't check the attributes, or it won't check the yeah, columns. Yeah, I don't it, think... I don't think it does. I think in most implementations, it will just check whether or not a table with that name exists. It will not check if the schema matches what you want it to do. Okay, I see. Well, if it's that, then it will be way easier than what um, what he was and saying. Then, so what I could imagine is that maybe you have to create your first migration in the project. 
dropping down to um, essentially raw SQL to get that hook set up. I'm not sure if you have like a high level abstraction of this in Echo. Ecto? Of what? If you have like a high level ex- abstraction of the creative not exists flag, if that's the default and you can just run with it, or if you have to kind of. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I need to. So that's for example, yeah. in, in Rails, um, in cases where the uh, active record didn't support what we want to do in the database, then we would just write a mi- migration that would just literally have like the execute command and then you would pass right. a SQL block. Right. So that would be, I think, your SK patch if it doesn't work otherwise. That yeah, you, exactly. in your first migration, just execute raw SQL to get the current state of the database. Absolutely. And then from there, everything should be peachy with normal migrations. And then my suggestion would be to explore if it's not possible to kind of have the first migration create the state as it is, and then immediately follow that up with migrations to clean up the state to match the conventions of like uh, like Phoenix in this case. Like like what? So for example, if you have uh, table names that use camel case instead of snake case or these kinds of things. Oh, I see. I see. Then do it you, on the other. Mi- then do it on a second migration. Exactly. Have a second migration that cleans that up, so that you then don't have to implement like weird hooks in your models, like that you don't have to manually create, for example, or set the table name in each model because it's not the convention of Phoenix stuff like this. Yeah. Or add indices if they're no, missing, or like do these kind tips. of like high-level tasks to clean mm-hmm. up the current state, and then you can kind of start your development against a clean base. Yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to jump into that um, probably tonight. Yeah, it sounds super exciting, and now yeah. I can play with it myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm so freaking excited about that, dude. When I started, when I started like thinking about it and seeing how I would handle this, because this is the first we've never had to do that. If you really think about it, we've only started yeah. projects from scratch, like straight from scratch. So True, we've yeah. never actually had to rewrite something into another like framework and then like actually work with an existing database. So I've never done this. So I'm just trying to think. Like how to, uh, how to approach this. And then those were the kind of questions that were starting to pop into my head that I needed like somebody to talk to because I couldn't find <laughs> anything about, you know, I couldn't yeah. find anything about that. Cause it, it probably to be, to be fair, it's probably not a common thing, you know, that happens. It's probably not a common thing. Although with, with Phoenix and Elixir being something that people are migrating to maybe, but I just, I couldn't find anything. Yeah. I wouldn't know how often that happens. Yeah. But it's it's definitely interesting. I'm extremely invested in this. It could also be that when you actually try it out, it's stupidly simple. Yeah, straightforward. Exactly. Like now that you have like the first step that you try it out and it just works out of the box. And like, yeah, I wouldn't write a blog post about this as well. Like, it's yeah, just yeah, it's trivia. <laughs> exactly. So I'll give an update on that next time. It probably be something like that. And if like, it's not, it would be nice to write an article about it or shoot a video like or something like that. Yeah. With many coding problems, I feel it's like exactly this, where you spend two days banging your head against the wall to then come up with like this trivial one-liner solution where like, yeah, I can't, I can never tell anybody that it took me two days to figure <laughs> this out. <laughs> We're all ashamed of this, but we've all gone through it, so... It's true. It's true. Yeah. Many I mean, times. Part of the job. But, many yeah. times I've put, I have literally put my forehead on my desk and been like, I am just, I'm so dumb. <laughs> How often has it happened that, so my experience is that when it happens, I oftentimes just give up essentially for the day. Yeah. 
oftentimes this happens to me in the evening when I'm just not that capable mentally anymore. I go to bed, I wake up the next morning and I have this solution like immediately in my head and it's beautiful and it works out of the box. Yeah. Yeah. I really think like I need to sleep more. I have definitely, I've experienced that way more times than I can count as well. Yeah. Yeah. That the next day I like, I come back to the problem that I spend the whole day and then it takes me like 10 minutes, literally. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. Exactly. You just get, I don't know what it is. I think that at some point, uh, as it starts, as the problem starts, like not as the problem, but as the solutions, like failed solutions start building up, I think you mm. become way more irrational about what you, you know? <laughs> yeah. So you're like, let me just try this. This seems dumb, but I'm going to try it anyways, you know, because there, I've tried everything already. So then you try just stupid things. So I had this experience this week again where I had to style some stuff with CSS. And this is really something that is not my strength. Mm. And eventually I like I think twice reached a point where I just started throwing like random CSS properties in a class, hoping that one of them would just magically fit, fix my issue. Yeah. And it took me a while to again let it sit a little bit, take a step back and kind of try to get out of this mode of operation to yeah. I come do back remember, to the problem when I'm fresh again. I do remember a a problem that you ran across in the previous company with JavaScript, where you had spent like a whole afternoon trying to figure out why something wasn't being set, and you console logged everything, and it was like working up to that point, and you couldn't figure out what it was. And me, you know, like having worked with React Native, I just already know the the issues with like this is you know with the bug or or feature, whatever you want to call it, with JavaScript with this. You know? Oh yeah. And I was oh, like, I was like, I was like, have you tried doing this? Cause JavaScript is, is like really stupid sometimes. And you're like, but that doesn't make any sense. And you tried it and it worked. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that Are definitely sounds priceless. Yeah. That sounds like my experience with JavaScript there. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say, I'm really really surprised by the experience now working with typescript really uh yeah well i i know i've i've probably heard that a billion times but but why so generally i think it falls into this experience working with strongly typed languages mm. and i'm working now in a project that has the typescript compiler turned up to 11 essentially with warnings and errors and restrictions which and things that you're not allowed to do. Mm-hmm. And it is actually quite nice. You get r- like quite a lot of feedback over like, yeah, essentially what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And it catches a lot of issues before you deploy them where you're passing in something that's like you're passing in an object where a string is expected, these kinds of things. And or that's maybe a little bit too simple but what i've noticed a lot of times is that i'm passing in an object that is missing keys so especially with react components where i for example don't have all props defined and i'm just simply missing a prop because i added it in the component but i didn't add it where the component is uh called where does that fail for you though uh, in typescript when you want to compile it so and that's 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 why i i think i have a bad experience with it because i so in react native you have flow and I think, yeah. So I, I've it comes by default, obviously, being Facebook. But uh, 
So that has been quite a nice experience. However, you have to separately run something along the lines of similarities with like lint in order for you to actually see that something is is like not declared or something like that. So when I heard about TypeScript, I was like, okay, well, this is this is something that will just not let me just directly not let me run the code if yeah. if it. But it it does. I'm not sure if it's a configuration problem. Yeah, or, I, I think it is because so in this case, for example, the compiler is configured in such a way that anything that is essentially a little bit wrong or it's not like where you don't follow the TypeScript to the to the letter uh, to the type system to the letter, it will not even let you run your code. It will compile it and essentially while linting will say, hey, this is not correct. You're missing a prop here. Mm-hmm. And doesn't even start the app, essentially. Okay. And then I'm not the biggest fan of Visual Studio Code, but in this project, it's kind of the default and has really nice um, tooling set up. And that works out, yeah, quite well. Like you get a lot of errors during development already. Because it's able to check the type system and it has like autocomplete and can do all the fancy things. No, of course, of course. But I was just I was looking for it to be like to error out if you're trying to run it, for example. I thought that's what it would ha- it would do to me, but it wasn't doing that. So I'm guessing uh, it's probably a configuration. Yeah. So the the idea is, I think, with my limited knowledge, that these errors are caught during the build phase and not during the like not at runtime. So you want to catch all these errors at compile time. Mm-hmm. But, and this is like the pro and con, I think, with TypeScript, it's able to have like a very gradual on-ramp where you essentially can just rename your JS file to TS mm-hmm. and it will work yeah. without you doing anything. Like there are no types yet. There are no, the I compiler see. doesn't check anything. <laughs> it just compiles TS to JS. And then you can start tweaking the compiler to essentially make more and more things errors. Yeah. And... It doesn't force you to write like really like strongly typed and safe code. You can essentially use any wherever you want if you start with it. And then eventually can go to the point where you say, hey, the compiler should fail if I have a return type of any anywhere in my code, for example. Right. To essentially prevent you from going around the type system. Yeah, okay, I see. I didn't know that that was the case. So, because when I first looked at it and hear everybody just praising TypeScript, I was like, okay, this must be the case. So I tried it out. I I, I actually uh, just did a dummy um, app, I remember, and in React Native and switched uh, the JS for TypeScript. Yeah. And I was just messing with it just to see if it would throw me an error because I was expecting that if I ran like yarn run, then it would throw me an error if yeah. I mess up somewhere. Because I thought that's what that's what the TypeScript selling point was, you know. Yeah, and but it, it is. <clears throat> but yeah, you if you said it, it. That, yeah, exactly, exactly. And since I'm also working on Rust um, on the side, they feel really like complementary in a way. Right, right, right. So right. No, definitely. I'm definitely looking forward to building like more backend stuff in Rust and then the front end in TypeScript. Yeah. And to be fair, also I'm really starting to like React. Yeah, I, it grows on you. Like, I maybe like is the wrong word, but I find it more and more intriguing. And I notice that I want to get to know it better without having like a final conclusion yet how much I like it. But it's definitely something that is interesting or getting more and more interesting to me the more I work with it. Yeah, I think it actually appeals to actual, like, I shouldn't say that. I was going to say to actual engineers. 
Oh but, yeah, uh, yeah. I think I think it uh, it appeals to it just because it's uh, the way you write it, you know. I've listened to a really interesting podcast this week where they talked about, or somebody kind of made the case to use state machines to write React apps or mm -hmm. general like front end apps to essentially have a very systematic approach to how events are processed. Mm -hmm. And that sounded really intriguing and something that I would just love to try out for myself in an app to see how it would work and if I would like it more than having just one gigantic reducer function somewhere. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it it is a different world from what I'm normally doing and yeah, quite intriguing to kind of explore. Yeah, I guess I, I uh, yeah, I've been on that world s strictly for like three years now. So. Yeah, you're going in the other direction while exactly. we'll eventually we'll meet in the middle with like yeah, yeah. <laughs> 50 50 split <laughs> yeah exactly exactly yeah. to be to be fair though uh if if i was to use like a, a front-end library from now on i would use react i would just pick react just by default yeah what is your reasoning for that and what are the alternatives that you're kind of ruling out so i'm just thinking right now of um just it's it's close bro which is you know uh not close but it's Petition, I guess it's a uh, view. Yeah. And, um, I just, uh, I, w my reasoning is just that it's, it's, I feel like it's just a, uh, less magic y way of doing the front end. And you Which have. Which one is sorry? View is less magic y or react? No, react. Because in view, you have all these like preset, um, like properties that you, you need to use, right? There are all these keys. Mm. Like you have computed, which is like for your computed methods. And then you have your, um, uh, like you have your, uh, like you pass in this object more or less, which is like has all these properties that you need to set. And then view magically does something in the background based on which one you're putting it in, right? Like computed mm. are for uh, functions that are like for computed. What's it called? Like, um, props within your, your, uh, component at that time or something like that like you just mm -hmm. have all of this which i was discussing with somebody and they're like yeah well magic is great when you like know what is underneath it right like if yeah. you actually know how it works then it's then it's awesome because it's doing a lot of things for you which is absolutely true the problem is that it kind of i don't know i feel like it deviates you from actual like mm. from just solving problems and and it yeah. uh and and just you know if you know how something works and you implement it yourself like you're just going to be more knowledgeable especially if you practice it right because everything is like muscle memory so if you get used to something like you'll just get used to it and i think that you'll forget it or you just will be oblivious to how it works eventually or you just next time you find something that you just you won't question it because you're like okay i don't need to like I, I can research how it works at any time like i'll just if it works it works and, and yeah i just that's one thing that could be argued against and everything, but I feel like, uh, I don't know. Right now, I just feel like it's, it just makes more sense to me that to have everything, everything JavaScript in, uh, in React. TypeScript, like you mean? Everything TypeScript. <laughs> everything TypeScript, <laughs> I guess. I have to give it another shot. I have to give it another shot, but yeah. It actually, I think that if somebody was to coming new, I, I feel like it makes you a better developer. Or a better engineer if you jump into React, just because it forces you to like have knowledge of like this, for example, yeah. right? The keyword and and like how it works in it, and like 
arrow functions and regular functions and just it, you're actually forced to know about these bugs slash features within yeah. like javascript yeah i see that point with uh with the uh with view you 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 uh you get baby fed on all these things which could be good if you're trying to uh yeah the argument that i had for view was that it actually uses like actual html and actual css mm. and yeah. I, and that used to be my argument as like to why you should actually like why react you should use actually view over react and it's because yeah like, we, you know, like view already exists. Like, I mean, HTML already exists and like you have, you have HTML, you have CSS, like why sugar it, you know, in a yeah. different way? Why come up with JSX? Exactly. Like why, why would you do that? Right. If you already have it, like work with yeah. what you already have and like view actually accomplished that. Right. But yeah, now that's a good argument. Yeah. That's an interesting, interesting domain. But I'll give, uh, I think I'm going to give uh, TypeScript another shot because I, I was intrigued to it. I do like flow types. I do like flow I, because of that reason. It just, yeah. it, it's a way of doing that. But I use it strictly on my projects. But I'll give it a shot. How's your project going along? Have you been able to, or how's your week? Um, yeah, week was, like I said, a little bit crazy because of, yeah, kind of the shift from a lot of travel to right. travel next week. Right. And that, meant we needed to prepare some stuff so that I can actually work remotely and that I have work here and um, I'm not dependent on yeah an environment that I don't have access to now. So kind of happy to be home, to be honest. Right. I'm looking forward to actually spending some time here and trying to... I hope that it's easier for me to have kind of a healthy routine when I'm at home because there are all these things that we talked about at the beginning of the year, our goals that we have which for me, most crucially on like the daily habit front include journaling, meditation, and reading. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the three that I set for Q1. And then looking ahead into Q2, I definitely want to add exercise to routine. Nice. I gained two kilos this year and this makes me cry a little bit because for I think like two years I've been tracking my weight or I've been tracking it for longer, but for the last two years I lost weight pretty consistency at like a slow rate. Mm -hmm. And then these are like the first two months where it really kind of went up again. So yeah. not happy about that development. No. And yeah, I've not managed to read a lot in February, which is a little bit of a shame. I got a really exciting new book that I definitely want to read, which is about how to store information and knowledge. There's a German scientist that yeah, gets briefly introduced at the beginning of the book, who just sounds fascinating. Mm. He studied, I don't even remember what, but then started like a completely different business. Like he was, I also forgot what he did as a business. Shame on me. But it was it was something like, don't want to say construction worker, but something in this direction where he had like a regular nine to five, went home. Mm -hmm. And then he, apparently he just read crazy amounts of books and filled out um, small like cards with notes about the things that he read. And from this was able to come up with like extremely insightful and apparently like groundbreaking theories that shaped a lot of social sciences in the 20th century 
Huh. And I'm again in the book they explain I forgot exactly how he got in touch with university again, but he don't know if he wrote a paper or an article or something or had a conversation with with someone and essentially they offered him a job as a professor on the spot mm-hmm. even though he had neither done a phd nor wrote a um the work that you have to do to become a professor yeah and then within a year i think he wrote both uh with like too high a claim like wrote two things that other people spent like a decade writing and during then kind of the course of his life so he (laughs) is quoted with um when he got the job they asked him what he wanted to research and he said like oh is this this topic it will take me 30 years and it will cost no money okay and then within 30 years he wrote i think 60 books that not all of them covered this topic but most of them were on this topic and like within 29.5 years he kind of finished the research on this topic and finished like his last book on the subject that's funny and the system he has is pretty interesting because it's based on like small cards that form essentially trees them where you can follow a thought through different cards so this is a name right yeah, it's so in German it's called the Zettelkasten system. And mm-hmm. I forgot the name how it's in English. I had a yeah, I I actually know exactly what you're talking about. I had a uh, classmate in my masters in Sweden who did all his notes like this. And it's so I noticed There's an for app long, for this as well, I'm pretty sure. There are yeah. So in the book, it's it's not a long book, so I can kind of recommend reading it. He makes the case that i think makes a lot of sense that if you jump into an app it doesn't actually explain how you're supposed to use the system and what i really like is so he references getting things done for example at the beginning of the book Mm -hmm. as an example where it's not just enough to learn how to kind of make the to-do list but it's actually a system that only delivers a lot of value if you actually make it like the core process that you follow yeah and he argues that it's the same with the system like it's not just enough to learn how to put notes into the system but you have to learn how to work with the system itself to get the value from it and especially this year with my goal to read a lot of books and with the podcast like i feel like i consume a lot of knowledge that i really struggle with to retain and retrieve when i want to yep so when I heard about this book, I immediately kind of interjected it into my reading list and started reading it. And I hope to have that done soonish to start kind of benefiting from the system and applying it to my process. And I'm not sure how we ended up on this topic because I remember you asked me about my project. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, the, the tasks and goals for the year. Um, doesn't matter how we ended up here. Yeah, uh, circling that's back interesting to the, though. Yeah. I'm definitely giving an update once I finish the book. Nice. Circling back to the project, I spent... So I built out what I think should be kind of the core of this service. Okay. And to kind of recap it really quickly, the problem that I'm trying to solve is that you have like various different racing simulations that you can play. Yeah. So for Formula One games, you have iRacing, you have Assetto Corsa, you have project cars if you want to dirt rally like there are all of these video games that you can play and that have like a high degree of realism 
and all of them output data about the state of the world and about your car. So you get information about the session that you're in, who's racing, what are lap times, who's in what position, like these kind of things. Mm. And you get telemetry data about the car, which could just be how much fuel you have, what your engine RPMs are, what's the speed you're doing. It could also be like physical properties, like what is your, what are the forces on your car right now? Like what is the G-force? What is the like yawn, pitch and roll angle of the car? These kind of things. And each of the simulations essentially has its own API, its own standard, and most of them are really kind of icky to use because they all rely on like little but archaic, really low-level interfaces. Mm-hmm. And the best case, that's a UDP network socket. And in the worst case, it's like a proprietary Windows API that writes to like a shared map memory file. Mm-hmm. And the idea is to add an abstraction on top of this that has like that has a high level interface that you can use with like modern nice languages that is not bound to the same like low level windows apis for example that you can only use from like c based languages but instead ideally in my view has like a graphql interface and you can query it from like any system in a network essentially yeah so how is that coming along have you figured out a solution for that so I wrote what I would consider kind of the backbone of that service. Like mm-hmm. my pick, my yeah, in my view, I have like the service that runs a GraphQL server and that listens to all of these racing simulation and republishes their data. And I wrote what I would consider like the core of the service. And now to really test it, I need the integration with like the racing simulations. Like I need right. to get data from somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I spent the last probably like two to four weeks now working on a library for the Formula One games, mostly because they use UDP and that is just really easy to hook into. I don't need to deal with like the Windows APIs, which is possible from Rust, but it's also a little bit like more intense than I want to do kind of as a start. So I picked F1 and it has been really fun to kind of work through this. I found a really nice solution to decode UDP packets and convert them to an internal representation. I also ran into a few issues where I noticed that it would be super helpful to learn how to do meta programming in Rust mm-hmm. and learn how to write macros. Oh yeah. That's which super helpful. Has a really weird syntax like it's so coming from Ruby, meta programming feels like a completely natural thing to do. Yeah. But then in Ruby, it's also super simple and feels like writing normal Ruby. And then in Rust, it's slightly different because you have, I think, four different types of macros, for example, and figuring out which type I need and then how to set that up. And I definitely need to dive into this more. But the thing that really excites me is actually working on like an open source project right now. Like I really look forward to having this done and be like an open source library. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And spending the time to write documentation and to write tests. And I'm thinking about ca- creating a landing page. And in a way, it's a test for things to come. Like it's a little bit an experiment to see what resources I can, in quotation marks, like quickly create. Mm-hmm. that helps sell this as like a mature project to the community 
and hopefully um, create some interest in using the uh, the product. So what you want is to uh, for other developers to be able to tap into this, right? Yeah. But with with like with what? Because um, actually, a uh, another mod and friend that I talked to uh, from the Odin project actually listened to the podcasts. And, oh, nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, is it going to be like mainly JavaScript that you're expecting people to write, or or is it like, or what is it? Yeah. Good question. Because he actually pointed out, and, and shout out to Ryan Ford, uh, but he pointed out like duct tape. Have you ever heard of that? No. Whoa. Yeah, duct tape that uh, that org or like Quick JS, which these are like JavaScript engines. Duct tape. Yeah, I'll link it to you. He oh was, yeah. Uh, he, he Definitely was, want to uh, see this. He was referencing that you could do something with that if if the main people who are going to be interacting with this is like JavaScript developers, for example, then you could do something. I'm linking to you. Decktape.org. Yeah. Or um, let's see. Interesting. Quick, quick. Yes. I'll, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, definitely check that out. Because I was looking through them as well when he uh, when he posted it, and I was like, hmm, this is actually pretty interesting. And it seems to be kind of really helpful to what you want to accomplish i'm not sure like just briefly browsing through the page i'm not sure if it covers kind of the same problem so my goal would be with this that as a developer you don't have to deal with kind of the complexities of these low-level apis right exactly and exactly high level interface that allows you to essentially use whatever programming language you feel comfortable with and to explicitly kind of remove the need for people to go down to like this C level where you need to, yeah, essentially get the data. Exactly. And thinking ahead, so I have like this multi-step plan of what I would really like to build with the last few steps probably being a little bit A, far into the future and B, maybe also a little bit unrealistic just complexity-wise. Mm-hmm. But ideally, this is like a, kind of a staircase where we kind of slowly go up the the chain. So what I do now with the F1 library, for example, is that really low level. It's still Rust. It's would still require you to, yeah, essentially work with Rust to use it. Mm-hmm. But I want to embed this in kind of the service that exactly. puts another um, kind of, or moves this up one day of, uh, level where you can then use it from like any language through yeah, web-based GraphQL interface. And what I would really like to do on top of that, but that is like the really the stretch goal, is to provide then more tooling to make it even easier to use this API. Maybe by providing like client-side libraries for, for example, JavaScript that you have ideally like <laughs> a TypeScript library with like strong typing where you can just, that you can plug into your pro- uh, project and it has a nice abstraction around like this communication and it just exposes the data that you need and sends you an event whenever there's a new one. Yeah, exactly. Or, I think, yeah, that's why he mentioned those libraries because he's yeah. actually, <laughs> he's huge into Lua. And, you oh, know, Lua, yeah. and Lua yeah, has yeah. has this like ease of use with yeah. uh, to embed into C libraries. So. so my dream would be to essentially have this API as, its stand- like, as a standalone service that really allows every like anybody else to do whatever they want and mm-hmm. 
with GraphQL, I feel like it's really well suited for this because the API offers you a lot of data that you probably don't need in most applications. Like judging from what is currently out there in forms of like small widgets or dashboards or these kind of things, each of them essentially has a very narrow scope and would probably require only a few parameters. I see. And doesn't require you I to see, send see, like a kilobyte 60 times a second over the wire. Right. So I might be wrong. Like, this is still, it's a gamble or it's an experiment. But my gut feeling is that it would be really nice to have like this really high level abstraction around all of this. And then focus more on providing like high level tools to kind of build cool stuff in the the space. Yep. Yep. I got you. I got you now. All right. Yeah. And that would be really cool. I'm kind of, so for me, like the F1 library now is like an interesting, essentially like a very small project where I can start experimenting a little bit with what does it mean to provide like good documentation for an open source project and what is the tooling that I want to have around the GitHub repository, for example, starting with a readme and a contributing guide and like slowly start to create these resources that I I hope I'm able to essentially in the end, just copy and paste between all the re- like projects or repositories that belong to this project. Yeah. Um, because one of the things that I really missed when I looked into essentially developing apps in the space is what I would consider like a modernly maintained open source repository. There are a few things open sourced, but they're essentially seven-year-old repositories that in most cases often don't even have a readme and yeah there are no licenses so you don't know what you're actually like what like you can guess what the intention of the author is but you have like no certainty that it's okay to use their code for whatever it is that you're working on yeah yeah especially when it comes to then using this commercially to me this always felt like a really slippery slope so i'm really looking forward to or I really want to see if it's possible and if there's interest uh, from users or other developers to have, let's say, a little bit more professional developer community here. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. It is, in any way, really fun to work in Rust and dream about big things to come. <laughs> of course. Yeah, man, for sure. I'm also dreaming about big things to come, but with Elixir. Yeah. I'm still hoping that eventually we can combine the two and join forces. Join forces. Do all the nice things. Rust, Elixir, TypeScript, that would be like a dream tech stack. Yeah, man. It's like when the uh, Green Power Ranger and the Red Power Ranger united together, you know? The third piece is still missing, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the white one. The white one. There you go. There's nice. the third piece. Nice. Cool. Anything else you want to cover? Nope, I think we can cut it right here. Yeah, we're really good in time. Yeah, really nice. This was really nice to catch up again. Yeah, I think so too. Let's keep it running. We say this every week, and every time we say it, we don't manage to record next week. But So just don't say it then. Till cool. next time. Till next time. Yeah. Take care, man. Yeah, peace.